Foreign Relations Committee will come to order, and uh, as a courtesy to three very distinguished uh, guests this morning, uh, Senator Cardin and I will defer our opening comments. We know that each of you have important business to deal with. We are honored to have Senator Johnson and Senator Baldwin introduce our uh, outstanding nominee for this position, uh, and we're especially honored uh, to have the Speaker of the House of Representatives here. Uh, who I thought yesterday uh, delivered uh, some well-needed um, unifying comments in a time of need, and I thank him for that and uh, thank him for his leadership. And with that, uh, knowing that you in particular have uh, a lot of duties to deal with, uh, Speaker Ryan, uh, why don't you begin the process? Right. Let, me just, let me just join our chairman in, in thanking the speaker for his comments yesterday. You spoke for all of us, and it was an incredibly difficult time and we're very proud of your comments. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, thank you that, for that, and thank you for your prayers. Uh, we have um, friends and colleagues in surgery right now, so uh, we need our continual prayers. And um, I felt like we can speak for all of our, our, our colleagues in saying that this is a time for us to unify, and it's a time for us to um, reflect, and I appreciate that. Um, let me, on a lighter note, um, thank you for having me here this morning. It's not often or ever a speaker comes to the Senate, so thanks for letting me come over here <laughs> to what we call the high-rent district. There, there's, good re- there's good reason for that. <laughs> yeah, that's, right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I haven't been over here in a long time. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to say a few words about a good, close, old friend. Um, Mark Green needs no introduction to this panel. Uh, he's long been a forceful advocate for American leadership in global development. Uh, He undoubtedly possesses the expertise and the experience. He's the perfect person for this job to lead USAID and to fulfill its mission. Um, He's going to deliver the utmost transparency and accountability for taxpayers. Uh, The president certainly made the best possible choice. Uh, I've known Mark Green for 20 years. Uh, We were both elected together uh, in the same election in 1998, along with Tammy, uh, to the House. Um, Our offices were next door to each other. Our staffs were closely related and integrated. We went to Bible study together every single week. Uh, We rose to the ranks in Wisconsin politics together. It was clear to me back in those days that Mark Green had a higher calling. His heart was always set on making a difference for people in need. You could see it when he talked about his time in Africa uh, when he and Sue lived in a tent and were missionaries and working um, in Peace Corps work. You could see it when he... His choice to get on a committee was the Foreign Affairs Committee because he wanted to work on things like PEPFAR and the Millennium Challenge Account Law. He was so passionate about those issues. I was over working on budget spreadsheets. Mark Green was working on Millennium and PEPFAR and these issues. You could see it in just the passion that he has for advocating for the people who cannot advocate for themselves. Um, This is his North Star. This is his life's work. This is what he does. And so... The endorsement I have for Mark Green is not merely personal. Um, It is the fact that you could not have a better person to lead this kind of an organization. Um, The work done by USAID, uh, funded and overseen by this Congress, uh, is critical to advancing security and democracy around the world, even more this time at the moment we are in um, than ever before, I would argue. I think Mark understands as well as anyone that the strength and clarity of America's leadership is vital to our interests and our overall global security and stability. 
Um, we're going to be very fortunate to have Mark Green as our voice and representative to the developing world. Um, as administrator of USAID, he will do what he always has done. He has an uncanny ability to bring people together of differing views, of differing backgrounds, um, and to get them to work on the same page. Um, he is a person who knows what it takes to improve and transform the lives of others. And so I just could not give a better unqualified endorsement of a more fine person to lead a very important agency at a very important time uh, than Mark Green. So thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, and thank you for being here. And uh, uh, for what it's worth, uh, my sense is uh, your very sincere comments uh, reflect the feelings of, I think, most people here who spent time with him, and, and I thank you for that. And uh, uh, we will not be offended if you go back to the, to the superior side of the building and <laughs> begin your work. So thank you so much for being here. Senator Johnson, uh, with great leadership on this committee, we're thankful that you're here to do the same thing and look forward to your comments. Well, Chairman Corker, Ranking Member Cardin, first of all, I want to join you in thanking the Speaker for his unifying comments yesterday as well. And a day of just uh, beyond disturbing uh, event. So, you know, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I'm also honored to join the Speaker in introducing former Ambassador and Congressman Mark Green as the nominee to be the next administrator of the U.S. Agency for International Development. We are at an important juncture for the future of U.S. foreign assistance, and Mark's exemplary character and unique qualifications make him an inspired choice to lead USAID into the future. Prior to serving in the State Assembly and in Congress representing Wisconsin's 8th District, Mark taught English in Kenya as a volunteer with World Teach. As a member of Congress, he was instrumental in the passage of PEPFAR and the Millennium Challenge Corporation, which have helped save millions of lives and spurred global development. After serving in Congress, Mark became U.S. Ambassador to Tanzania and served as Executive Director of Malaria No More and as a board member of the Millennium Challenge Corporation. He did this at great personal expense, having contracted both malaria and typhoid while serving others. Today, he serves as a senior director of the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition and as president of the International Republican Institute, a nonprofit organization that works to bring democracy and freedom to all corners of the world. Mark has repeatedly set his personal well-being aside in order to make the world a better place for countless others. He understands that compassion for those in need is an essential and galvanizing component of USAID's mission. And he also understands that foreign assistance is a strategic investment which must be integrated with national strategy at the policymaking level. Most of all, Mark is a respected servant leader with high moral character who will do an outstanding job of representing America's compassion and decency throughout the world. I have no doubt that he will lead USAID with dedication and distinction. I strongly endorse Mark's nomination and urge my colleagues to support him as well. Mr. Thank you so much, uh, Senator Baldwin. I haven't had the opportunity to serve on a committee with you, but I thank you so much for what you bring to the United States Senate and for being here to show the strong bipartisan support for this nominee. Thank Absolutely. Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Ranking Member Cardin and members of the committee. Um, I, too, want to um, thank Speaker Ryan for his comments yesterday and today. It is... Um, time for more than just moments of unity. Um, and I'm proud to be sitting here with my uh, colleagues um, in uh, 
uh, unity behind the nomination of Mark Green to be uh, the leader of the United States uh, Agency for International Development. Um, I have known Mark, uh, I hate to say this, for a quarter century. <laughs> um, not only, as Speaker Ryan said, did we have the pleasure of being elected, all three of us, to the House of Representatives in the same year, but um, Mark Green and I were elected to the uh, Wisconsin State Assembly uh, together in 1992 um, and have had an opportunity to serve together and um, work across party lines for the people of Wisconsin uh, for, for many years. Um, I also had the pleasure of serving with, uh, with Mark on the House Judiciary Committee for, for many years. I applaud the President's nomination of Mark Green uh, to serve America in this position. He not only has the um, exemplary experience and qualifications to take on this responsibility, as you've heard, he has the deep personal passion and commitment to do this job as shown through years of work in advancing our common good on the international stage. As we all confront the reality of an increasingly interconnected world that presents both challenges and opportunities, I have no doubt that Mark Green understands that America is always best served when we lead and reach out to the rest of the world, not turn inward. Uh, Senator Johnson, Speaker Ryan and I know and agree, Mark Green is the right person for this mission. And I hope that our joint support sends a very strong message to this committee and the entire United States Senate that he is the right choice for the USAID administrator. I'm hopeful that this committee and the full Senate will confirm Mark's nomination so that he can begin the work uh, that he has been committed to do throughout his entire life, serving and making a difference in people's lives. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you uh, very much for those comments and uh, all three of you for being here and what you've said. In many ways, I feel like we could adjourn the meeting right now. But uh, I would say to each of you, uh, please, again, feel free to, to leave. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pause for a moment and so it won't be awkward so that you can do so appropriately. Thank you so much for being here and for your role in making our country uh, uh, what it is. Ambassador Green, thank you so much for joining us uh, today. This is not the first time uh, we know that you've testified before this committee, and you're certainly no stranger to the halls of the Capitol. You have a long and diverse history in both public service and international development, and I am very pleased with your nomination to be the next USAID administrator. And you know uh, and, and know that you will bring significant expertise and understanding to this new role. With a budget of over $25 billion, USAID represents about 46% of our international affairs activities, but just over half of 1% of the total uh, U.S. federal budget. USAID has an important mission, and many of its programs have stabilizing effects in regions of the world where we have national security interest. And while I know there's been much discussion about the President's budget request, and as I've said before, it's the role of Congress uh, to fund the federal government, not the administration. So instead of focusing on that, uh, I think we would be better served to shift our focus from what can be done towards uh, what should be done instead of what, what can be done. We should focus away from what can be done towards what should be done. I'm reminded of something Secretary Tillerson said at Tuesday's budget hearing. 
Funding does not equal results. Show me your results and I'll tell you your commitment. And I just want to say I know that that's something that you're very focused on and that's why we're all so proud that you're a nominee. That is why I'm encouraged by the statement in your testimony that you as USAID Administrator would set a higher standard for accountability and achieving results. I agree with you that we can create significant change by focusing on economic growth in a developing world. We should look for appropriate ways to leverage shared private and public sector interest in eliminating constraints to trade and investment. Creating business environments that will attract investment in the developing world should be our priority. This commitment is, has a long history of bipartisanship, which we're going to demonstrate in a really sound way today on the floor. When it comes to oversight of our foreign assistance, with the passage of legislation enacting important reforms, such as the Global Food Security Act, Electrify Africa, and Water for the World Act, should you be confirmed, I am confident that we would find a willing partner in our oversight and reform efforts. To that end, I want to highlight today one of the most impactful aid reforms that is achievable during this Congress, modernizing our food aid. Food for Peace has been operated under, operating under decades-old requirements to use 100% U.S. farm commodities, 50% of which must be shipped on overpriced, uncompetitive U.S. flagged vessels. If we could modernize the program with increased flexibility in food aid delivery while still maintaining a significant role for the U.S. farmer who cares deeply, deeply about people in need, we could feed five to eight million more people a day with the exact same funding. I know you're very aware of that and I really feel the time is here for us to address that issue. Food for Peace is authorized in the Farm Bill that is being reauthorized next year. And if you are confirmed as administrator, um, I would seek your commitment uh, to working with us and the Ag Committees and others to modernize the program for the 21st century. Uh, thank you for coming here today. I know you have uh, important family members who we were honored to meet by, back behind uh, the podium. Uh, we look forward to you introducing them. We look forward to your testimony. Uh, we look forward to you serving in this important role. And with that, let me turn to my friend, uh, the ranking member, Senator Ben Cardin. Well, Mr. Chairman, uh, thank you very much for uh, convening this hearing. And uh, I'll call you Congressman Green, because I think being in Congress is more important than being an ambassador. But we'll, we can argue that issue later. But Ambassador Green, um, thank you for your willingness uh, to serve your country at this critical moment in one of the most important national security posts that we have in America. And, and I thank your family, because this clearly is going to be a family sacrifice. Uh, you know that, your family knows that, and we thank them for joining you in this commitment for public service. I will acknowledge that I am not objective on your nominee. I've known you for a long time. Very impressed by what you did when you were in the House of Representatives, uh, know of your service uh, that we saw in the ambassador in Tanzania, what you did with Millennium Challenge Corporation in the NGO community. Uh, you have incredible endorsements from stakeholders who I deeply respect in the importance of the mission of USAID. And in our conversations, you were extremely passionate about the values that I think are critically important for America's security. So you come to this uh, day with uh, a strong uh, record and 
passion for this position, and I join the chairman in believing that uh, there will be a, a very smooth confirmation process for you to assume the office uh, as director of USAID. I say that recognizing that you have accepted a position during a very challenging moment. When we take a look at the conflicts globally and what these conflicts have meant as far as humanitarian crises in so many spots in the world, where voids have been created, where we see extremist groups and terrorist organizations that are able to take advantage of that insecurity. Uh, that's your commitment to try to deal with both the humanitarian problem and to avoid the voids that allow terrorist groups and uh, oppressive regimes uh, to be able to, to uh, function. You also understand the importance of the United States leadership. It's been U.S. leadership that has provided the world direction that deals with issues such as health epidemics that we have dealt with, uh, to, to dealing with good governance, anti-corruption, and the creation and support of democratic institutions. And we're going to see that, the chairman alluded to that, you're going to see that leadership today in the United States Senate at 11 o'clock when we start voting on a bill that expresses not only our, our, our commitment as a, as a Congress to take on the aggression of Russia and Iran, but also our commitment to support democratic institutions and to have appropriate congressional review of executive uh, actions so that we can speak with a stronger united voice in this country. That to me is, is exactly what we need to do for our national security. But I need to point out that there are some self-inflicted challenges that we are imposing on ourselves. Uh, and we need to recognize that because we need to overcome uh, these challenges. We have budget cuts that are being recommended that would make it virtually impossible for USAID to carry out the missions that we expect you to be able to carry out. Uh, the budget with withdrawal U.S. aid missions from 37 countries, that presents a very, very change. If you don't have people on the ground, it's very difficult to, to be able to understand the circumstances. Having been on the ground, you, under, you understand that. The OMB directive, reducing personnel, could very well cripple the ability of, you know, of carrying out missions. How we, the State Department reorganizes, and we had a hearing Tuesday with Secretary Tillerson. The jury's out on that. We don't, we, I agree with the chairman, and let's wait to see. We can always do things better. But I know how important it is that for the USAID's independence within the State Department family and that is an issue that we're going to be looking to you. So this hearing is an opportunity for you to present your vision as how you see USAID fitting into our national security, into American values. I also will, will, will ask you to do two other things. One, assure us that you're going to be an effective voice within the Trump administration as it relates to these key decisions that are being made recognizing that development assistance is critically important to our national security. How do you weigh in effectively within the Trump administration to, to carry out that commitment? And the second, and it's equally as important, you have Democrats and Republicans on this committee that are dedicated to working with you in a bipartisan manner. The, the chairman mentioned some of these programs, you know, historically we're proud of PEPFAR and the, the, how that changed the, the, the world landscape on USAID, uh, on, uh, on HIV AIDS. We, we know that what we did with Power Africa, what we've done with Feed the Future, what we've done with the water, it, so many different issues, we've worked together as a team in order to advance U.S. 
leadership and national security matters. There are many areas that we want to work together. I'll just mention one. We're working on using the successful model of the trafficking in persons, our commitment to end modern-day slavery, which is a commitment which is continuing and will need your help in order to make sure we continue down that path because there's still way too many people being trafficked around the world. But to use that model to fight corruption, and I'll, I want to work with you, and I want to work with Secretary Tillerson and, and members of this committee to figure out how we can be more effective in our international leadership to stop the, 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 the rise of corruption in so many countries. And today we're taking a major step in that direction against Russia. But we need to have an overall strategy on how to do that. So today gives you a chance to go over with this committee. The committee wants to work with you, your vision of USAID, how we can work together to promote your mission and how we can be effective in regards to the Trump administration so that we can have more unity in this country, recognizing how development assistance is critically important to our national security. Thank you. Thank you, Senator Cardin. <clears throat> Mr. Green, uh, I'm sure Senator Corker's apologized to you. He has an uh, important matter on the floor he has to attend to you. But he did not leave you to chance. Uh, I grew up in Wisconsin. Uh, I was born in Wisconsin. I received part of my higher education at the University of Wisconsin. Both sides of my family immigrated to Wisconsin. I see you're a latecomer, having been born in Massachusetts, but I'm going to overlook that. So with that, uh, the floor is yours, and we're, uh, we'll be glad, uh, glad to hear from you. Just a quick interruption, though. You forgot to mention you're a Green Bay Packer fan. I am a Green Bay fan. Well, how, as, is, as is Ambassador Green. <laughs> Thank you, Ambassador. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and Ranking Member, and thanks to the members of the committee I'm honored to come before you as President Trump's nominee for USAID ambassador or administrator, and uh, I'm truly grateful to both the President and to Secretary Tillerson for their trust and support and confidence. Uh, you heard from the introducers. I am grateful to them, to you, uh, for the friendship and the kind words. Speaker Ryan, Paul, he and I do go back a long ways. As uh, we were noting before we came out, Paul famously would walk back and forth from votes reading, you know, uh, numbers tables from Ways and Means, and I was the guy that would talk about Africa. I think we were both pretty boring people at the time. Uh, I want to thank my family for their unwavering support. My parents, born South African and British, but now proud Americans of more than 20 years. My wife Susan, who is here today, and our three children, Anna and Alex, who are also here and Rachel, who is back in Minnesota, where she teaches. Mr. Chairman, 30 years ago this August, Sue and I began a journey as volunteer teachers in Kenya. That journey's taken me to five continents, walking hospital wards in Tanzania, observing elections in Jordan and Burma, talking with young political leaders in Europe and Eurasia, meeting with community leaders in Central and South America, and so much more. Back here, I've had the honor of helping to craft PEPFAR and MCC and working with a number of truly great organizations. Along the way, I've learned a lot about what's working in development and what can work even better. But more than anything else, this journey has driven home for me that America and our development tools can be an irreplaceable force for good in this world. Now, uh, Mr. Chairman and members of the committee, you've asked me for my priorities for USAID. I can best sum them up like this. Every president in modern memory has suggested that the purpose of foreign assistance 
should be ending its need to exist. If confirmed, I will make that our organizing principle. And that means three things. First, I'll work to make sure that our programs respect our taxpayers. Our foreign assistance funds come from hardworking families all across this great country. I think we all realize that we have to use these dollars as efficiently and as effectively as we possibly can. If confirmed, I will focus our limited resources on what is working and end what is not. I'll scrutinize every program to ensure that we're maximizing value, minimizing waste, and always advancing America's interests. Second, I'll make clear to our partner countries that our assistance isn't open-ended or inevitable or most important, to substitute for what they must take on themselves. Every program should look forward to the day when it can end. And I'll ask our missions to evaluate how each dollar moves a country closer to that day. To be clear, USCID will not walk away from our humanitarian commitments and will always be there when disaster strikes because that is who we are as Americans. But I believe the truest sense of compassion comes from helping people and countries to take care of themselves and to craft their own bright future. Finally, third, I'll work to reshape our assistance tools and programs to better reflect our evolving relationship with the developing world. When USAID was first created some 55 years ago, about 80% of the money flowing from America to the developing world was government money, ODA, Official Development Assistance. Today, that figure is under 10%. International commerce, remittances, private philanthropy are now transformational forces. Added to that, we see new technologies emerging each and every day that create marvelous new opportunities. All of this suggests we should change our approach to supporting development. If confirmed and working with all of you, I will pursue ideas for reforming our policies and procedures, rethinking our structure, and retooling how we engage with our development partners. I'll also work hard to strengthen our interagency cooperation because I saw as ambassador to Tanzania how that can be a true, truly effective force multiplier. Mr. Chairman, the same passion that carried me to East Africa 30 years ago still drives me today. I believe in the power of compassion. I believe in the power of development. My journey has reminded me over and over again that fostering development is hard work, but also if done right and led well, it can not only lift lives and strengthen communities, but also help America achieve many of her most important strategic priorities. And so with your support for my confirmation, I commit to working with USAID's talented team all around the world to make smart choices and take on important work that will lead, I believe, to an even stronger, more effective agency in the years ahead. Thank you for considering my nomination, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mr. Chairman, thank you for presenting what I think is a, a clear vision for the agency and where you want to take it and drive it. Mr. I'm going Chairman. to, sorry. I want to do something that's very rude and apologize in advance. I have to go chair the Veterans Committee, which is my committee. But I came to Washington at the same time Mark Green did. I've known him all 20 years. I've never known a better public servant, a better member of Congress. I've been to Africa and seen him firsthand what he's done. And I just wanted to give him my unqualified endorsement. And thanks for all the leadership he's demonstrated for me over the years and wish him the very best.
Thank you, Senator Thank Isaacson. You, Coming from you, that means a lot. Mr. Chairman, just a point of order. Yes, Senator. Uh, Senator Isaacson's reputation in the Senate is so extraordinary that I think he's biasing this body again uh, in favor of a, I think that that was an uncalled Should for. Should we comment. vote? <laughs> thank you, uh, Senator Isaacson. Thank you very much. Uh, so with that, uh, I'm, uh, the chairman's going to reserve uh, his time. And Senator Booker, I'm going to recognize you for questions. Uh, I'm going to uh, reserve my time as well and defer to a gentleman I know you've never really met or don't really know that well, but to Senator Coons. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Senator Booker, Senator Risch, uh, Karibuni. Welcome, uh, Ambassador. Um, and as uh, we had a chance to discuss, uh, I am grateful uh, for your willingness uh, to serve as USAID Ambassador. and. Um, you and Susan have had a remarkable um, journey uh, in service and faith uh, and have made a great difference for the people of Wisconsin and for our nation. Uh, and I'm thrilled uh, to have someone with your, the depth of your experiences in Kenya, uh, in Kakamega. Uh, as a teacher, you were uh, Mwalimu. I was Mwanafunzi at the time. Uh, as a member of Congress, helping develop some of the most innovative and effective programs in American development history with MCC uh, and PEPFAR. Uh, as ambassador to Tanzania uh, and in leadership roles of uh, IRI and USGLC. All of these will serve you well in this role. Um, and it's, it's my hope that you will also be an effective voice for U.S. Africa policy within the administration, um, since uh, we still have very few signals about how the Trump administration intends to engage in a continent with enormous potential um, and where we have a lot of uh, good but hard work to do. USAID uh, spends about half of all its money in sub-Saharan Africa, uh, and it's a continent that um, really needs our effective and engaged partnership. Uh, we talked about the Young African Leaders Initiative, or YALI, a relatively small and inexpensive program, uh, but that I think has a dramatic impact. Um, when I visited Liberia during Ebola, I had a chance to meet with um, the returned YALI volunteers who had spent a summer in the United States uh, and were now back in Liberia, every one of whom was doing remarkable things. Uh, leading or starting volunteer organizations or embedded into government ministries that really needed their professionalism and service. Um, as administrator, uh, will you advocate for programs um, like Yali and Yasili that are, uh, I believe, both low cost and high impact people to people programs uh, to continue? And I wondered if you're familiar with the regional leadership centers um, that the USAID currently runs in partnership with the MasterCard Foundation and whether you think continuing to support not just uh, the summer program here in the United States, but building this network of um, highly motivated, promising young Africans is a good investment of U.S. dollars. Uh, Senator, thank you. Thanks for the question and the, and the kind words. Uh, I can't say that I'm, I've been fully briefed on the regional centers, but I can say I'm very familiar with Yali and Waisili. Uh, my current organization, uh, the International Republican Institute, in fact, we have hosted YALI interns, and we have hired a YALI intern who now works for us in Mali. And uh, we've also done extensive work with Waisili uh, in Southeast Asia. You know, it gets to something that you and I discussed briefly that I think is, is uh, on one hand, potentially a challenge, but on the other, an enormous opportunity, and that's the changing demographics in the world. The average age, the median age of a Tanzanian is 17, and it's going down. In Uganda, it's 16, and so we see millions of young Africans who are looking for opportunities, and I think it is important for us to help them find those opportunities, economic opportunities, but also democratic, uh, democratic opportunities, helping them to engage in institutions so that they are invested in the survival of the system. 
So uh, I, I think they're important contributions. Uh, I believe that the area that we're talking about, development from MCC to uh, Power Africa, is one of those increasingly rare places in this town that is truly bipartisan. Mm -hmm. Every administration makes contributions in terms of the tools that we are able to use in our statecraft in this space. MCC, we were, we were talking about, but Feed the Future, obviously. YALI, Power Africa, I think they're great. I think we should continue to build upon them, to find ways to refine them, but I think they're great contributions, and so I commit to working with you on these. Thank you. I'm excited to do that work together. I have one more minute, so I'll ask one more question if I might. Um, democracy and governance is an area um, I'm very concerned about, I think, has been underfunded because those funds were used for uh, important uh, programs that I think have shown promise, Feed the Future um, and Power Africa in the last administration. Um, and in your testimony, you note the importance of good governance uh, to sustainable development outcomes uh, and of working together uh, to promote values like free speech, free press, uh, and fighting corruption. Um, how do you intend to speak up for these values as USAID administrator? Um, how can we better address issues uh, like corruption and um, security sector abuse through foreign assistance? And um, frankly, given that there is across Africa a competing narrative uh, from China um, of sort of an authoritarian uh, approach to development, um, how do we make this a higher priority and more visible in the Trump administration? Senator, thank you for the question. Um, it's obviously a topic I'm, I'm passionate about when it comes to uh, democracy and governance. And something that's, I think, an important distinction. We often hear about the importance of governance, and governance is important, but I think democratic governance is awfully important. For the investments that we're all talking about to be sustainable over the long haul, what has to go with them is citizen-centered, citizen-responsive political systems. Otherwise, what happens is we tend to be in a pendulum, and these investments only last as long as a particular regime does. Uh, it is in our interest to create and, and to foster and to reinforce uh, democratic, citizen-centered systems. I think the ways... Um, I, I don't see a dichotomy between emphasizing our values and the other development tools. MCC is built upon the premise that they have to go hand in hand. There are a certain bundle of values and principles that a country must succeed at if it's going to rise, and democracy is at the heart of that. So I look forward to working with you. You can count on me to be a forceful advocate for uh, prioritizing democracy. Well, thank you for my in conclusion. I just appreciate uh, your whole family, your children, your wife, Susan, being here and their support of your uh, lifetime of service. And, Mr. Chairman, I can't think of a better opportunity um, today for us to have a truly bipartisan confirmation hearing um, than this. I look forward to supporting your nomination and to working with you as USAID Administrator. Thank you very much. Thank you, Senator Kuhn. Senator Johnson. Hey, Mr. Chairman. Uh, now that I'm on this side of the dais, let me also say thank you for your past service. Let me thank your family for your past service as well as your future service. You've probably, because of his service, seen less of your dad, less of your husband, and you probably see a little less of him now when he takes on this very important role. Uh, I, I really have two questions, Mark, uh, dealing with your testimony. You, you've, and this is really tying on with what you were just talking with uh, Senator Coons about as well. I think you realize, having been in the political realm, there's nothing more unpopular than foreign aid. As fiscal conservative, I've always talked about that if it's, if it's spent well, it's money well spent. And so it's incredibly important that we hold recipient nations accountable. 
how familiar are you with the, the work of, for example, people like Bjorn Lombard in the Copenhagen Consensus that very, very similar to your testimony says, we have limited resources, we must allocate those in a prioritized fashion to do the most good for the most people. Can you just kind of speak to that issue? Uh, Senator, I can't say that I'm completely familiar with the, um, uh, the particular report or, or point of view. What I can say is that I think our development assistance prioritized, deployed accurately and effectively, I think helps keep us safer. Uh, I think we're seeing tremendous challenge and turbulence around the world. And I think our uh, development tools can help provide some stability of institutions so that institutions and governments are able to deliver for their people. I think it can be a helpful tool in our efforts to counter and prevent violent extremism. I think it also helps us to keep the economy growing. 95% of the world's population is outside the U.S. So our farmers and producers are looking for markets. I think if we're able to use these tools well, they help to build those markets and advance those markets. Uh, some of our tools like Feed the Future and Power Africa help us to mobilize uh, and tap into the private sector here, the entrepreneurial spirit that this country is famous for. It's part of our foreign policy. It's also good for us. So we do have to prioritize, absolutely. I just believe that many of these tools uh, pointed in the right way, um, uh, you know, evaluated well, uh, I think they help us as they help others. I think one of the m more destructive aspects um, and really harms our ability to sell foreign aid to the public is when funds are abused. Mm -hmm. uh, can you speak to that? Uh, great question. Uh, you're right. Uh, diversion of funds, uh, poorly spent, whether it be fraud, waste, or abuse, or just inefficiently spent, undermines people's faith in what we're doing. And so you can count on me to pay, place a premium on transparency, on accountability. Uh, in the lead-up to today's hearing, I met briefly with the Inspector General, just getting to meet her and introduce myself. I look forward to working with her. We have to squeeze these dollars, we have to have good vetting systems, and we have to make sure that these monies don't go astray. Uh, you know, it, it may not be a lot of money in terms of the overall federal budget. It's precious money. It's precious money that come from taxpayers who, in my experience, are willing to see those dollars go to good causes in the right places. Don't waste it, and don't take them for a fool. And so my commitment to you and to the members of this committee is to scrutinize, evaluate, and constantly be measuring what we're doing and make sure that uh, we don't have the kinds of abuse and fraud that we hear upon, uh, fortunately, uh, rarely, but we do hear, and we have to take, take uh, care of it. I appreciate that. And finally, in your testimony, I thought it was interesting, you used the phrase irreplaceable force for good. Since I've entered this realm and as a fiscal conservative defending foreign aid, I always talk about America's been a phenomenal force for good. You know, how proud we all must be when there's devastating floods in Pakistan, it's American foodstuffs. When devastating tsunamis in, in Indonesia, it's, it's America's fleet that goes steaming to the rescue. And when AIDS devastates Africa, it's, it's a program like PEPFAR and billions of dollars spent by America that do so much. And as Secretary Mattis said, you know, either spend it here or give me 10 times more for, for bullets. I've heard you speak with real passion because not only did you help craft and instrumental in the passage of PEPFAR, but you were there on the ground and you've borne witness to how powerful an example that is. I just want to give you the last uh, 
minutes of my or moments of my time to just describe that to the committee. Well, thank you, thank you, Senator. Uh, you know, the story I often tell comes from my time in Tanzania as ambassador. So, 1998, Tanzania was a non-aligned nation, which means it was sort of looking more the other way toward the east. On that terrible day in 1998, the embassy was bombed by essentially by Al Qaeda. It was a devastating blow to a country that hadn't had that kind of violence. <clears throat> in the rubble and in the ashes, it was America, the American people, who went to work shoulder to shoulder with the Tanzanians to take on many of their poverty-enhanced challenges. And in the span of 10 years, they became a very close ally because as they looked around, who was it that was helping them take on AIDS, take on malaria, take on poverty, take on educational challenges? It was the American people. 19, or 2008, when I served as ambassador, President Bush became the first sitting president to visit Tanzania. And what he was struck by as we were driving the streets, the crowds were 10 deep. And President Bush, to his great credit, said, look, it's not about me. It's about PEPFAR. It's about President's Malaria Initiative. It's about these tools. They understand that uh, American people care. Uh, that's about the best brand I can think of. If, if we're able to project that brand to people saying, look, um, when disaster strikes, we're there. We're with you. Don't waste the money. And, you know, we'll help your ability to take care of yourselves because you do need to take care of yourselves. But in those challenging times, we will be there. And, I, again, I, I think it's, it's our great value. Final point, um, sort of where you began. There are challenges in the world. And I know sometimes people get tired about it's always America that gets called in to help out. All I know is the world doesn't get better if America recedes into the shadows. There's just no way the world gets better. And so uh, we have to be a force in the world stage, and we have to be a force for good. And I think these tools craft in a bipartisan way with tremendous bipartisan support. Uh, that is a key part of who we are and a key part of our foreign policy. Thank you, Mark. The, pres the president has nominated a very good man. I just want to say I appreciate the expressions of bipartisan support. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Chairman. Um, <clears throat> I couldn't agree uh, more with both you and Senator Johnson. Um, as you know, many of us are deeply worried that we are right now in a period of massive withdrawal. Uh, America from the world, and it seems that we've been presented with a budget that is a blueprint for America walking away from all of these leadership positions that we have put ourselves in. And I always love listening to Senator Johnson talk about his support as a fiscal conservative for foreign aid, um, because I hear that back in Connecticut all the time. Um, you know, folks who support Democrats, folks who support Republicans, they understand uh, why we need to be forward deployed to protect ourselves, um, but also to do good. Um, folks in Connecticut are really proud when it's America that's coming to the rescue, people who have been devastated by famines and floods. You know, and the polling is so interesting because it tells you that most Americans think that, you know, about a third of the budget um, that we appropriate every year is spent on foreign aid when the reality is it's around 1%. But the most interesting piece of those polls is that when you ask Americans how much they think we should be spending on foreign aid, they tell you about 10% of our budget. Uh, yes, and so, you're right, and, and, and so it's, uh, um, it's interesting 
the disconnect that exists between the debate here and especially the budget that the president has proposed to us uh, and where our constituents are. I'm just so glad you're willing to serve in this position. And my hope is that um, not only will you be an effective administrator, but that you will be a, a, a political power for good inside this administration that you can help explain to this president and his national security team how we are cutting off our nose to spite our face if we proceed with 30 plus percent cuts to these programs. Um, and in that spirit, let me, I, I, don't, I know you're not here to defend the budget, but let me just talk to you about one of the facets uh, that worries me about it uh, and get your comments. I think if you look at the budget that's presented to us, you can make an argument that this administration is proposing to stay in um, the game of trying to put broken countries back together but is proposing getting out of the game in terms of preventing fragile states from becoming broken. So we're spending money in this budget in Iraq and Syria and Libya, but we're effectively gutting funding for places like Jordan, Lebanon, Tunisia, and places further afield like Bangladesh and Mali and Nigeria. Um, you know, in your experience, um, you know, talk about the importance of spending a little bit of money to help fragile states hold it together rather than waiting until they fall apart to spend a whole bunch of money later on. Uh, Senator, thank you. I think you're asking one of the key questions that we all need to take on. Uh, you're right. Uh, as I've been preparing for today, I've been um, startled, I guess is the word, for just the sheer need that's out there in the immediate sense. We have a famine in parts of South Sudan already declared. We have three other countries that are teetering on famine and uh, unfortunately may fall into famine in 2017, being the first time since World War II where four countries will simultaneously be in famine. And obviously the humanitarian needs that go with that are enormous. We are the largest bilateral donors and the largest provider of such assistance. And I think we will continue to do our part. But you're right. Um, you have the immediate, but you also have that which is at risk. So you have parts of the world that uh, are either uh, newly post-conflict or fragile. And so I think it is important, and we have to find the resources for strengthening those fragile institutions, helping, for example, we spoke earlier about uh, that demographic of young people who may feel marginalized, who may feel alienated, who may have uh, less than the economic opportunity that they might want. Those are areas where I think we do have to make some investments to prevent longer-term conflicts. One final quick question about that, and that's flexibility of funds. One of the complaints that I've heard over and over again at State and at USAID is that we box funds in on a country-by-country country and capacity-by-capacity capacity basis, uh, whereas it might make much more sense to give the administrator or an assistant secretary the ability to quickly deploy funds to an area that needs them. Um, uh, do you have thoughts on, on this and recommendations that maybe not today, but you might be willing to give us as to how we grant you and, and your team that you will have between USAID and State the ability to move funds a little bit more expeditiously? Well, Senator, I have to confess to you that uh, the staff who was preparing me for today said, for goodness sakes, don't bring that up. <laughs> you brought it up. I did. You're right. Um, no, it, 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 so uh, the numbers that I've seen suggest that of the most recent, the 2017 budget, only 7% of that is flexible. 
as opposed to 29% back in 2009, obviously that limits the ability of uh, USAID, the administrator, uh, working with all of you to adjust to changing circumstances. So um, I, I will come to you with some specific ideas, but, but obviously flexibility and circumstances are changing so rapidly these days that it, it, uh, it would be tremendously helpful. And I thank you for raising the point. Senator Young. Thank you, Chairman. Uh, Ambassador Green, I, I, I just can't tell you how excited I am uh, to support your nomination today. I can't think of a better person for this position. Really enjoyed our visit in the office again this week uh, to discuss uh, the future of USAID and how we might uh, reform it. As, as I mentioned to you in the office, Senator Shaheen and I have convened a bipartisan uh, commission, a task force working with uh, CSIS, uh, and uh, the purpose of, of this commission is to help you. Uh, as you step into your new role, we, we will be providing some actionable recommendations on what optimal development reform, uh, uh, how to achieve a more optimal development reform and, and reorganization, something you're focused on. Uh, we brought in former Bush and Obama administration officials, uh, retired Foreign Service officers, uh, former ambassadors, former National Security Council staffers. So um, we've met twice. Uh, we're going to meet one more time, perhaps two more times, and we intend to issue a public report in mid-July. Ambassador Green, after our report is released, would you be willing to meet with me and Senator Shaheen, as well as some of these top development experts, uh, to hear our recommendations related to reform and reorganization of USAID in our nation's development enterprise. Uh, thank you for the question and the opportunity, very much so. I'd be quite interested. Again, I think this is an area of foreign policy that isn't partisan. Right. And so the fact that you're able to bring together uh, members of this committee from both sides of the aisle I think is great. I'll look forward to uh, the report and discussing it with you, and I, I'm, I'm very interested in, in what you'll be putting together. Well, thank you for your uh, in, indulgence on that. Um, would you agree that U.S. development efforts can and should be better coordinated across agencies? I think you've already spoken to this, but... Yes, yeah. yes. We are, we are currently, I think foreign assistance is right now 60 different offices, departments, and agencies throughout the, the executive branch, so sure, I think that makes sense. Would you also agree that USAID's operations would be more efficient, more effective if they're informed by fresh strategic analysis that includes the establishment of specific development priorities, uh, objectives, milestones, uh, and metrics supporting the national security strategy, and also coordinated with the national defense strategy while balancing ends and means and, and identifying risks along the way? Senator, I think these challenging times that we see in so many parts of the world require us to ensure that our development tools are coordinated with other parts of our broader national security strategy. So uh, I think that makes sense, and I look forward to uh, uh, following up with you and seeing how we can help inform that and participate. Well, that's encouraging. At, at an earlier hearing before the full committee uh, some weeks ago, Secretary, former Secretary of State uh, Madeleine Albright indicated 
this very sort of strategic analysis is needed. In fact, she said it would, it would make an important difference. And uh, at that same hearing, former National Security Advisor Hadley said, quote, I think it is a terrific idea and we need the kind of process you describe. So Ambassador Green, uh, do you agree with uh, the assessment of Secretary Albright and, and uh, Advisor Hadley that our nation's development efforts would benefit from this strategic analysis? This is what we call a leading question in the business. If confirmed, I will look forward to uh, uh, working with you on it. And I do think that um, such a national security uh, development strategy makes sense and is a useful contribution as we look to craft long-term policy. Well, I, of course, agree, uh, and that's why on May 24, Senator Shaheen and I introduced S-1228. It's the National Diplomacy and Development Strategy Act of 2017, and I look forward to working with this committee to pass the legislation. And once it's passed, look forward to working with you to ensure that our development reform and reorganization efforts, as well as the operations of USAID, are, are guided by current and careful strategic analysis. Um, in the remainder of my time, I'd like to pick up on an issue that uh, uh, my team and I have worked very hard on in recent months, and it pertains to the situation in Yemen, the largest, uh, the most serious humanitarian crisis in the world. I know you're well aware of it. The port of Hodeidah in the Red Sea processes between 70 and 80 percent of the uh, incoming uh, cargo, critical imports uh, into the country of Yemen historically, and a, a large portion of the individuals in most desperate need of food and medicine uh, are right near that port uh, within the country. For a variety of reasons, we're seeing bottlenecks and delays at Hodeidah. Uh, there are life and death implications. In fact, two-thirds of Yemen's population is at risk of, of uh, starvation or succumbing to disease in, in coming months by some accounts. To increase the port's capacity to deliver these supplies, USAID spent uh, roughly $4 million of our tax dollars through, through the World Food Program to procure four cranes. Roughly speaking, these cranes would double or triple the capacity of the port to offload humanitarian supplies. Unacceptably, these cranes were on their way to Hodeida but the Saudi-led coalition revoked the clearance. Ambassador Green, once confirmed, will you work with me to look into this issue and see how we can resolve it? Senator, thank you for the question. Uh, yes, I will. Obviously, uh, access for humanitarian reasons is crucial. Uh, Yemen is uh, one of the four nations that is either in famine or on the verge of it. And uh, as are the others, sadly, it's man-made. I mean, these are political-driven famines. And so uh, they need political solutions, and, and uh, I look forward to working with you on it. Ten seconds uh, with your indulgence, Mr. Chairman. Ten seconds. I want to, I want to uh, give a shout-out to uh, James Beaver, Acting Assistant Administrator uh, at USAID. He responded to my request for action on open GAO recommendations, and um, we've, we've drafted legislation working with Senator Menendez on this, and um, uh, with a little prompting, uh, he was able to assure us that uh, these recommendations uh, will be uh, complied with, these open recommendations. So, well done, Mr. Beaver, if you're watching this. Mr. Chairman, I yield back.
Uh, Ambassador Green, I apologize. We've got, uh, as always, we're running over the top of ourselves, and we've got to run down a boat or we're going to miss the boat. So we're going to go, uh, we're going to take a short recess as quickly as we can go down. And the senators have some really important issues that they want to, uh, they want to take up. And so we're we're gonna uh, we're gonna make it happen, but you just, we're we're gonna have to be patient with it. So the committee will be in recess, subject to the call of the chair.